Hello, and welcome to the third episode of the Checkmates Go podcast series. My name is Odeda Waskar, and joined with me are Adar Wizen and Yoav Arat Pinkas. How are you guys? Good, thank you. Excellent, hello. How, how was your week? Good, back from holidays. Yeah. Yeah, we were at the uh, Sinai. The entire family came back with no sunburns. <laughs> uh, mission accomplished, very happy. Great, so we have a great episode today. We're going to discuss three interesting topics that arose over the past two weeks. And towards the end of the episode, we are going to have a special guest, Asil Kayal, a security researcher of the Threat Intelligence Group, who is going to share with us her recent research about the Muddy Water campaign. Asil, how are you today? I'm great. It's really exciting to have you here. Thanks for having me. Anytime. So, without further ado, let's start hearing about the topics that we're going to cover today. So first, we're going to talk about a new variant of the Anubis banking trojan. An unknown group of hackers have managed to leak the source code of tools used by an, an Iranian APT group called APT34 or Oil Rig. And still with the Iranian APT uh, groups, uh, Asil will tell us about the recent research he led with the uh, Muddy Water APT. Okay, let's get into it. Okay, so on to Anubis. Um, so just a quick reminder about banking Trojans. Um, ironically, there are Trojans that sit on your computer or mobile and collect your banking credentials. Uh, so the Shocking. Shocking, I know. You wouldn't guess it from its name. Um, so Anubis is a pretty well-known banking Trojan. Um, it's been found in several hundred applications, affecting users worldwide. Up until this version, it's had pretty, pretty basic uh, banking credential um, functionality. It, um, it acted as a keylogger, uh, collecting your keystrokes and then collecting your banking information when you access applications or websites associated with your bank. Um, so the new version is a pretty sophisticated variant of the, of the Trojan. So I don't think it's right to call it a banking Trojan anymore. It acts as a ransomware now, um, a fully functioning RAT, a remote access Trojan. Um, so basically a hacker could access and modify and basically control the affected uh, mobile device. So, so the, the news is that it's not that it's the first mobile ransomware, or is it? Right, no, so there have been banking Trojans that have ransomware functionality, um, but it's always just interesting to see when a known malware evolves its capabilities and sort of goes into another um, classification of malware types. Mm -hmm. And how do we know that it's the same one, that it's still Anubis, if we see a new sample? So based on the source code, uh, so you can see that it's the Anubis banking Trojan. Um, it's actually an interesting trend that, that we're seeing, you know, threat actors that are used to doing something very, very specific, like in this example, banking Trojan, and then all of a sudden switching to ransomware action and rat capabilities maybe means that you know, the pursuit for easy money never ends and, you know, and banking is not necessarily the only thing that they can actually do. Right, um, when you see a malware evolving, you, I mean, you automatically think what the, what the shift is caused by. So, I mean, the hacker behind, behind this Trojan could be looking for either easy money for people who would pay the ransom if it's used as a ransomware, or just looking for access to devices worldwide. Um, so I think, you know, the shift basically can be attributed to a number of reasons. And actually, I think it's, uh, it, it's a point to look at the categories that we, the categories serve us as researchers more than they do the uh, attackers themselves. I mean, the attackers are not really 
Uh, they don't really care about categories. Yeah, it's, it's more for our classification. For them, once they have um, reached to our platform and they can do stuff that we, uh, undesired stuff on our platforms, then they can easily move from ransomwares to RAT to whichever other function. Yeah, but you know, they're, they're pursuing that specific route in order to achieve something. I mean, in order to, for me as a, as a malware creator, for example, to create a ransomware capabilities means that I can actually benefit something from it, as in what's in it for me sort of uh, yeah, model. Once, once, you've, once you've entered and you're on a platform and you have a device or, or a, a software that allows you to take control over uh, somebody else's uh, device, uh, then it's a small step to change its uh, function from the, the, the bottom line is how, how to make money. And if the money now is in a different function, then you just change. It sounds simple when I say it. I guess it takes a bit more uh, work from on the uh, attacker's side. Probably. But still, uh, the categories are not Iron Maid. Yep. And, you know, just, you know, you, you were saying about it taking a lot of effort from the from the hackers. I don't think that it, it, it requires a lot of effort out of the attacker. I mean, developing ransomware capabilities on a specific malware code is not something that is super sophisticated. I mean, there are a lot of open source code open the internet from various ransomwares that were leaked and you can just, you know, copy paste everything, replace the key with a key of your own and that's it. You have a ransomware uh, capability on your malware and that's it. So that's really maybe the point that the, the categories that we uh, designate the different malware to are not as important. I mean, they're a tool for us to realize uh, what, what the trends are for now, how to make money as a, as a malware uh, uh, user. But malware uh, author. Ma author, but um, yeah. Okay, moving on to the next subject. We have a group that are calling themselves the lab. Duktegan is their name. I'm sorry if I'm, not pr if I'm pronouncing it wrong. I probably am, but never mind. Have recently used a Telegram channel to dump a lot of information about oil rig which is an Iranian IPT group, also known as APT34. And this information leaked included uh, various hacking tools that are being used by this specific APT group, also IP addresses and domains that are owned by the group and are used in uh, previous campaigns. Also, they've leaked some data about the victims of that specific uh, APT group. Uh, Dr. Gan, the user that has actually leaked the data was quoted on Telegram saying, we have more secret information about the crimes of the Iranian Ministry of Intelligence and its managers, and we have determined to continue to expose them. So maybe it, I don't know, gives us some clues about some more stuff that are about to be exposed by Duke Tegan's group, I don't know. To me at least, it just emphasizes that even if you are a super APT group, you know, that has a lot of um, skilled hackers, you're still prone to attacks and you should worry about your cybersecurity. Um, what do you guys think about this topic? Any, anything that, that pops into your head? Well, apart from the interesting political aspect of, uh, of them being exposed by somebody, an insider, I guess, from I Iran, so I wonder if there are practical implications of uh, uh, revealing source code uh, on top of having samples of the actual malware. Maybe, Asil, do you want to 
Yeah, well, actually, if I'll refer to what you said about it being uh, someone that worked for them in the past, uh, the, the, the person that leaked the information did claim to be a disgruntled employee uh, that worked before with this threat group. But actually, from reading some analysis of what they have posted, uh, some Persian native speakers have said that this person is probably not actually Iranian. They've well. discovered some typos in the uh, messages that they sent, and they said they're likely not to be uh, from the country itself so it could be a way as well to kind of disguise themselves but we don't really know for sure that it is an insider uh and also the information that they have posted wasn't uh or it didn't really reveal a lot of the technical information or the tools used by the this threat group a lot of it was outdated credentials to systems that they have hacked in the past it wasn't really anything that could help us uh, as analysts to kind of uh know a lot of the uh, scripts that they are using or the tools that are using to develop the uh, malicious documents that they later on uh, weaponize and send out to uh, victims. So analysis-wise, it didn't really help that much, but they are still releasing information, of course, and they're release- releasing faces uh, and names of people that are supposedly involved in oil rigs. So that could also help with uh, with laws. And uh, if those people get arrested, then maybe this activity will come to an end as well. And practically, Having source code of malware would help would assist your your work? Uh, Depends on the malware itself, actually, uh, because if we do have access to uh, the core functionality, then yes, of course, we would be able to uh, see the inner workings of the malware itself and uh, see how it generates its network communication and see things that we will be able to protect more efficiently against it. Uh, But if if it is the source code of the panels that they use to view the victims, which is 90% of the code that they release in this case, then it's not really that helpful for us so not a lot of it is important you, you know you, you you two were mentioning the the insider threat you know a guy that works for that specific apt group and then after a couple of months and managed to leak all of this information that he had access that he had legitimate access to when he was working for that apt group and and i think that um i believe that maybe we should discuss the internal the insider threat for organizations uh, around the world. I mean, think about it. I mean, you are, you're hiring someone and you're giving him legitimate access to your data. Later on, when he gets mad about you because you didn't promote him and you, or you didn't pay him enough, then all of a sudden he, he decides to steal all of your information and leak it on online. I mean, what can you do against it? That's, that's a really good question. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's just a little bit um, maybe off track from, from cyber security in, in, some ca- in, in some ways. Um, NDAs would do some, some of the work and their systems um, aiming at stopping employees from downloading large quantities of data uh, from, from the mainframe. But um, yeah. Aren't we back in time? <laughs> <laughs> So um, yeah, maybe it's a it's a good a good po- a good link to our next subject. Um, so I'll properly introduce uh, introduce you Asil. Asil is a Asil Kayal is a lead malware analyst uh, in the Threat Intelligence Group, and she's she's our very own rock star. Um, you're most welcome to uh, watch one of her uh, research uh, uh, presentations. The links are down below uh, at the bottom of the page. Asil, um, we you published. Um, you lately published um, a research about uh, Muddy Water, uh, Advanced Persistent uh, Threat Group, 
Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about it. That's true. About the research or about, about the, the threat group? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with APTs, maybe. A, a oh, couple wow. of words uh, about APTs in general. Okay. Uh, an APT is a sophisticated attack, usually targeting... Usually it's very targeted. Uh, it uh, goes after specific individuals. It's not widespread like what we see with uh, ransomware and banking trojans being distributed to thousands of victims over emails. An APT would go after uh, specific individuals and it is usually sponsored uh, by a nation state or uh, by someone who's uh, usual, very interested in uh, surveillance or uh, espionage over a specific organization or a political target. So, so well, well financed, advanced, and, and uh, targeted. Yes, and very persistent. It would uh, try to remain undetected for as long as possible so that it could exfiltrate as much data as possible from the system. So mostly espionage. Yes. Can you give us some examples about uh, famous APT attacks from the past few years? So, you know, we will have some reference to some interesting APT attacks. Um, so one of the examples could be Lazarus, which is a North Korean threat group, presumably. Uh, and it usually goes after targets in so South Korea, uh, which again can be affiliated with the political targets of uh, North Korea. And uh, we've also seen a lot of threat groups coming from uh, Russia as well. Some of the examples are Turla, Sofasi, some of which have not been that active in the recent years, but uh, we have seen some attacks up there. Some of them have economic uh, targets, trying to gain financial. Yes. Yes, Lazarus has had some uh, financial organizations on the list of its targets. Uh, also, some ransomware attacks have been attributed to this uh, threat group itself. So we can see that they're also trying to maybe monetize uh, their future attacks. But uh, And some, some are political. Yes. And you, you're very careful by with uh, affiliation to, you say, allegedly North Korean, allegedly Iranian. How... Uh, tight is the link? Um, well, first off, yes, you're usually very careful when you're attributing uh, an attack to a government entity or a nation state. But other than that, a lot, of a lot of the times when you're analyzing a malware sample and you see something that could tell you or that could indicate the origin of that sample, sometimes attackers would also, also use that to plant false flags. So they would have strings in Chinese, but the attacker is actually from a different place in the world just to point fingers at a different uh, place so they could also use that to kind of lead researchers in the wrong direction so and we what, can't what, really know for sure so what would you consider um a good evidence of uh of source of an apt uh we could look at the activity hours of the apt for example can and kind of try and compare that to the work hours of a certain or in a certain uh time zone we can look at the ip addresses where they're coming from or if some if sometimes the servers of the attackers themselves are compromised and you get the original ips that they're using with the real geolocation then that that could be a very strong indication <laughs> of where they're from okay so muddy water yes about that. <laughs> so 
We found a new sample of the muddy water attack that was targeting uh, Turkish organizations. Uh, the document itself was in Turkish. It had a very nice decoy uh, content kind of telling the, the victim. The initial phishing uh, Yes, email. the initial document that arrived via email, and it would tell the victim to enable its content in uh, nice Turkish text, and afterwards it would display a seemingly legitimate uh, content uh, that has to do with a change in the Turkish law. So it's very uh, tailored for the Turkish audience and they really know how to socially engineer those documents to get the victims to download them and click them. Mm -hmm. uh, and we uh, found that sample and attributed it to the threat group uh, behind it, which was Muddy Water in this case. So, okay, so, so we're dealing with um, uh, allegedly an Iranian-linked uh, APT group, Muddy Water, uh, Turkish uh, text um, document. Can you tell us a little bit about Muddy Water in general before this uh, sample? Of course. Yes. Uh, Muddy Water is actually a threat group that has been active since at least 2017. That's when the first research came out about this uh, threat group and uh, researchers started tracking it. Um, some people have attributed it to uh, Iran because, again, they were tracking one of the servers and it was accessed by Iranian IPs, which they think actually belong to the attackers. Uh, and it goes after victims all over the world. And that's kind of why it's called Muddy Water, because the attribution is very hard in this case you can't really um you, you the political affiliation or targeting is not really uh clear in this case and a lot a lot of the times it would just target victims all over the world and not in a specific area but we do see that it mainly focuses on targets in the uae in turkey in saudi and uh, a lot of its victims are from the middle east but also tends to make its way to other places as well and it's uh, Iranian linked means that it's a government agency or we don't have any idea or? We, we can't really say for sure, no. uh, perhaps. We don't really know. All right, so going back to the research. Yes. So the thing about muddy water is that they usually prefer to use after the initial uh, infection document, which uh, has macros in it, they would prefer to use PowerShell to kind of run their malicious activity and gather information from the system and send it back to the attacker. And they use uh, kind of a sophisticated multi-stage attack. So they would download a lot of PowerShell scripts on the way until they get to the final payload, which is also a PowerShell script usually. Why, why would they go through through so many stages? Why not just get the payload in the first? Uh... Uh, well, it makes it harder to uh, analyze and to get to the uh, final payload and also can filter some of the victims that they're not really interested in infecting. So if you're a researcher and they find out that you're running this on your environment, they may not want to send you the final payload and right. they would stop the attack. Right. Uh, so in our case, going back to the document we have found, we noticed that they weren't actually using PowerShell after the document. They would download an executable, which is something that is not typical to Muddy Water usually, and that executable would start this long infection chain again and try to get the uh, final PowerShell um, uh, script, which is their final payload. Uh, and we've noticed that as well. With We were able to link this to other documents that were seen over the last year and kind of track this individual campaign that also belongs to Muddy Water, but kind of see that they're trying to always test new techniques to try mm -hmm. and find new ways and remain undetected. And this could be one of that one of those ways to not really go for the normal, well-known uh, infection method of Muddy Water, but try a new right. method. Again, uh, evolution of uh, APTs. 
yes. live, live. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's very interesting. You can find the, uh, a link to the research uh, again at the bottom of the page. Um, it reminds me that a, a few days after this uh, pub our publication, Microsoft had their own publication about muddy water um, and they dis discovered a, a campaign um, which uses a, a different payload, this time a, a WinRAR payload. So can you tell us a little bit about this, maybe the source of the vulnerability? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I wonder who the source is. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, the WinRAR vulnerability was dis was disclosed by Checkpoint researchers. We've released a report on this, and shortly after, I think maybe even two days after, we were uh, seeing attackers exploiting this zero day in the wild and uh, using it to send malicious files to their victims. Uh, and by publishing this, of course, we're able to protect against this now. So I think, in a way, it is better than remaining undetected for uh, years and then eventually finding out about it after it's being exploited. Uh, but finding this in Muddy Water uh, was a bit surprising to me because they, again, like I said, they usually go for a PowerShell script, sometimes executable, so this was a whole new thing. But it also wasn't surprising in a way because they're always, like I said, experimenting with new things and this could be their new way of trying to remain undetected. We even spotted new files after our publications that were utilizing a vulnerability to kind of download uh, remote templates. So they would start out with a document that would download another document that would start the infection again. So they're constantly changing their uh, methods and this again is yet another example. These are not zero-day uh, vulnerabilities. No, they no, no. Using no. In the past they've used uh, well-known vulnerabilities that have been in use for a couple of years actually. So that's maybe another thing that differentiates different APTs. Some APTs, well-financed um, nation-state uh, APTs would be using uh, very expensive uh, zero-day vulnerabilities. Others might use uh, day one vulnerabilities. Yeah, there, I mean, usually uh, there is a difference between the level of sophistication depending on the region, how well funded it is, and just generally the experience of the people running those campaigns. So we see uh, different nations, like you said, running more advanced and usually uh, campaigns that remain undetected for years and then uh, later on discovered, whereas uh, campaigns like Muddy Water are usually a lot more noisy and people do know that they're uh, existent and they actually uh, know how to detect them, despite the fact that they uh, do, do manage to infect victims eventually. Uh, one last thing I would like to say about this is that recently, actually, and following up on what Oded said regarding the lab Durtegan, is that there is also another uh, telegram group that is publishing uh, indicators about muddy water and they're claiming that they have access to their servers and they're likely to leak information about this threat group and the people behind it. So they, unlike the Labdurtigan, which are doing it for free and sharing all of their information with the uh, information security community, the uh, green leakers, the people that are leaking muddy water are demanding to be paid for it. Uh, but they might release some of the things. So we're also tracking this group and kind of trying to find out new information through it. We might see uh, Muddy Water coming to an end as well soon, or it could be fake news. Who knows? Wow. Okay, so that's it for today, I believe. We've come to an end of another really exciting episode. Uh, Hadar, Joab, Asil, thank you very much for joining me today and making this a really exciting episode. Thank you, Thank Asil. you. Thank you for having we, me. We need experts. Great. In two weeks, we're going to have uh, someone for, uh, from our 
incident response team who's, who's going to come and tell us some war stories from, from the field and we're going to discuss this for you and have some implications. So please make sure to tune in in two weeks. Thank you for your time and uh, have fun. Thank you.